please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 18th of November 2020, and it's time for your morning espresso. So if you're listening live, you have the option to listen to this conversation in different languages. You can do that by selecting uh, the button below and uh, then going down to your language of choice. You also have a Q&A button, so you can send us your questions. But you also also always have the option of sending us uh, emails to nordiafunds at nordia.com. So uh, this week we have our senior macro strategist, uh, Sebastian Gali, back for a market uh, update. So good morning, Sebastian. Good morning. Hi. I thought we might start with uh, one of the, the topics that's, of course, dearest to my heart, which is Brexit. Um, what's happening? What's going on? Can you give us an update, perhaps? Sure. I mean, the, the way to look at Brexit is that at the beginning of a negotiation, you start very far apart, and then very slowly, you say, what is the basket of things I'm willing to exchange? And then as you progress, you basically get a convergence really just at the end with a lot of volatility just before there. The problem is for about eight months, we've been stuck on the similar topics, uh, particularly fisheries and uh, a level playing field uh, that is uh, no subsidies, for example, for different uh, industries such as uh, aerospace and, and, uh, and the likes. And behind that is uh, UK politics and UK politics in the sense that the levers, the hardcore levers were in charge of these negotiations. Two of them have just left. One of them is still in charge of the negotiation, Mr. Frost, uh, and is still willing basically to have a uh, no deal. From the point of view of the European, uh, it's also the case that they're willing to have no deal um, and also that they're willing to negotiate it into December, even though there's a certain amount of time that is needed for ratification. So the odds that we get some slippage into next year are fairly large, particularly if Mr. Frost stays in his job. But it's clear that the prime minister uh, has shown his willingness uh, implicitly to get a deal. And he has done that how? They basically create artificial boundaries in time saying, if it doesn't work out by this point in time, everything is over. And then as we cross that line, well, we say, okay, let's continue negotiating. The second thing is that two of the levers have been forced out of governments, which is a fairly strong signal uh, that the UK is uh, somewhat serious. Uh, but um, the odds of slippage, unfortunately, are non-negligible. Yeah, and of course, uh, our Prime Minister Boris Johnson is uh, now in quarantine, which I'm sure isn't helping things either. I guess it's going to slow everything down a little bit more. So, um, but anyway, like you say, we we seem to be hitting these deadlines. I think the last time we spoke a couple of weeks ago, we just one had just passed, and uh, and sure enough, the the conversation goes on. So, uh, calls for optimism, hopefully. Uh, another thing that was in the news recently was uh, regarding the Fed chairman who has said that, you know, at this point, we're starting to, to sort of look beyond COVID and, and a new economy was, was emerging. Of course, that means that there will be sort of permanent losses in the old economy, you know, jobs that won't come back. Uh, what's your take on, on his comments and, and what he's saying now? 
Well, it's an important point in a sense what the Fed has done is drifted towards the left minorities uh, and women, the, the ones which are most affected by this transformation of the economy. And what he's trying to point out is something that happens in every crisis. There are always two things that, which happen. One is a, a cyclical element and another one is a structural element. And the structural element is that if you work in Gap, if you work in McDonald, your job is changing. Uh, what you're doing there is changing. And the number of jobs to some, some extent is also uh, being reduced and they are not necessarily coming back. Online sales are starting to, to pick up. Chipotle, for example, is trying to open a completely online restaurant, which is completely new, uh, but, but is probably the wave of the future as change habits and rents are too uh, expensive. They try to reduce them. Having said that, this really does happen every single time. And what matters is monetary policy and fiscal policy, which is lacking in the United States. Hopefully in, the, in January, we're gonna get another package going through Congress, most likely after the Senate elections in Georgia. Um, but it eventually does work out. There's people eventually find jobs not where they were, but in, in new industries, some have to requalify themselves. Some have to go back to a university and it takes two, three years uh, to be able to get back into the workforce. And they have to be encouraged and they have to have programs to be able to deal with kind of things. It happened in 2008, it's happening right now. Uh, it is just one fact that the Fed is signaling uh, that it is moving towards uh, minorities and uh, such as uh, uh, the uh, um, uh, um, well, the various minorities in the system. Uh, and it is an important signal. Why? Because uh, they uh, are trying to align themselves with the new government. Exactly. And, and a lot of moving parts there right now. And uh, certainly be interesting to, to see how that evolves uh, going into the new year as well. So uh, two things to keep an eye on. Thank you very much, Sebastian, for your time this morning. And uh, I'll speak to you again soon, no doubt. Right. Today, we are looking at uh, alternative ways to put cash to work. And uh, for, for this morning's session, I'm joined by Gino Buffer, who is uh, head of product management on the multi-asset side. So good morning, Gino. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yes. Good morning, Paul. Oh, wow. Loud and clear. <laughs> Indeed. Blimey. You've had more than just an espresso this morning, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was going to start off because we we have a sort of a running joke uh, here with our with our kids. I've I've got a couple of teenage kids, and um, you know we we talk about how they should take precautions um, to protect themselves uh, against contracting COVID. And we've, we have a little strap line, which is a hashtag stay negative. So whenever they go out, we say stay negative, you know. Um, but I think that could be a tag that's, that's used by the ECB because we've been experiencing um, a negative yield uh, environment for, for some time now. What impact is this having on, you know, this, these negative interests? What impact is this having on, on clients in, in Europe now? Yeah, absolutely, Paul. I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, the ECB has been going to unknown ter territories uh, more than five years ago by, uh, for the first time ever, setting negative rates on deposit. So, of course, uh, this negative yield environment is an issue for most investors. I mean, this is very well aware. Low expected return going forward, lack of diversification from safe assets. But there is another issue um, that is not taking the headlines right now. It's the fact that negative rates set by the ECB is actually having a big impact uh, on banks uh, in general. So, 
First of all, uh, this is squeezing the margin. So whenever a bank wants to, to give a loan to someone, they cannot charge as much as one yields, you know, where five to 6%. But the other very important issue is that actually uh, banks for all their excess liquidity. So if you are me, uh, we're putting our cash or deposit at the bank, on the one hand, they have to pay 50 basis points uh, to the ECB at least on the excess reserve. But on the other end, they're not charging us. So if I put my money, uh, my cash at the bank, the bank is just giving me 0%. So it's not charging me uh, for this. But there is clearly a mismatch then for the banks because on the one hand, they have to pay, but on the other end, uh, they're giving me 0%. So basically they're financing uh, my deposit and this is having a huge issue for, for banks. And the trend that we're seeing now across Europe, because here I'm talking about the Eurozone with the ECB, but if we look at other countries like Switzerland or Denmark, they're charging even beyond the minus 50 basis points set by the ECB, so minus 75 basis points, for example, in, in, in Denmark or, or Switzerland. And here, the issue is so big for the banks that are actually passing on this cost uh, to the final customer, so like you yeah. and me. Yeah. Um, this trend is not seen yet uh, in Europe, uh, but we could see that uh, for large investors, institutional investors that are holding, for example, um, large uh, cash deposit, we can see that banks start to also charge them. So this is just the start of the trend, but I foresee that this will be basically impacting uh, the rest of the chain. So implying not only institutional or digital client, but also retail clients uh, along the way. And clearly, uh, there must be a solution uh, for us, retail clients, uh, I have to say, but also for discretionary and institutional client, and find a solution basically to escape uh, this uh, negative yield or negative cash uh, deposits. Yeah, it's a funny one, is it? Because in Denmark as well, they're, they're actually passing negative uh, interest rates onto mortgages as well. So that's good news. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. <good>. Yes. <laughs> but then the flip side to that is, you know, on your savings account or on your current account, you're being charged negative interest rates and and like you say this i mean in europe we're not seeing that yet um but it's not sustainable for the banks you know absolutely to carry the can so uh sooner or later uh we sh should or could expect to see negative interest rates on bank accounts uh in europe so so what are, what are investors to do you know how can how can we adapt to that situation yeah um I would say there's no magical solution, uh, but I think there are a few options that we can look at. Um, the, the first one, uh, maybe if we can show uh, the slide where I show the money market. Sure. Um, so of course you have uh, your cash deposit, but the next step is of course, it's increasing your risk uh, along the way to, to get a bit higher return or at least positive return. Uh, the first option that investor can think of is money market. So this is the next logical step. Mm -hmm. uh, here on the slide, we can see uh, the Euribor uh, over the last year, five years or so since uh, the ECB said negative rates. Uh, this is in green. And you have basically uh, the money market average performance uh, in yellow. So you mm -hmm. can see that money market is giving on average a bit more than the Euribor. But you can see that there is slightly more volatility. So for investors, there's always this trade-off. So if I want to get more return, I need to increase slightly the risk and the money market could be uh, a first good solution. But if we look at uh, the average return of the last five years, we can see that money market is actually also giving a negative return uh, on your investment. So slightly better uh, than let's say cash deposit, uh, but not uh, good enough, I think for, for most investors that at least want to have a flat return or slightly positive return on, on their cash deposits. Yeah, exactly. And, and quite honestly, once you add the broker fees and, and the management fees, I guess you're not much better off, are you? 
I mean, no, no, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's a, it's a question of risk appetite. So if you're really risk averse, I mean, I can also tell you, okay, just take the 50 uh, basis point losses as a guaranteed <laughs> loss, but then you, you can sleep on your two ears, but you're still losing 50 basis points every year. So another option could also take all your money and put it under the mattress. I mean, if you have a big mattress that could work, <laughs> but I don't think this is a very sustainable solution uh, in the long run. So, so what's the next option for us then? So next option, let's you know move on in terms of uh, the risk ladder. So another option uh, would be at uh, increasing your duration risk, for example, or increasing the maturity on your investment. So here also I have uh, another chart uh, maybe uh, that we can display. And here, so if you're looking at uh, a solution for cash, of course, you think safety first. So, okay, what is the safest uh, instrument you can find? Um, usually in Europe is, of course, German boons. I mean, this is a safety lock uh, in Europe. Mm -hmm. So here we're just showing uh, basically the German yield curve uh, from very short term. So we saw that uh, the very short term, okay, you get negative yields, but what happens if you increase uh, uh, the duration or the maturity of your investment? And here basically I'm, I'm showing the, the full yield curve from one year to 10 years. <laughs> the picture is just simply crazy. On yeah. the short end, you're not only losing 50 basis points, you're losing 80 basis points. So we're living <laughs> in a really in a crazy world. I mean, investors are paying 80 basis points to all German bonds. I mean, this is really insane and clearly not a very good solution. <laughs> I'd rather lose 50 basis points guaranteed on my cash account than paying uh, 80 basis points. But what about if we increase uh, the duration? So let's go to the 10-year point already. And here, Again, we're still losing money, 64 basis point negative yield. So still worse than the 50 basis point that the ECB is charging. So there are various reasons you know, why these yields are, are much more negative than the 50 basis points set by, by the ECB. I mean, it can be due to institutional investors forced to all this kind of assets, you know, for liquidity reason or collateral management, asset and liability management and so on. But we saw that clearly, I mean, holding longer duration bond, at least safe bond, I mean, it's clearly not an issue. I mean, you're losing actually even more than when the ECB is setting uh, as a cash rate. It is crazy, isn't it? You're, you're guaranteed a loss, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Just... I mean, wherever you go, I mean, yeah, there's no yeah. real escape. Yeah. So, so what that means is basically in terms of, you know, traditional fi financial market instruments, there's not really many options out there, are there? Um, for conservative investors, that is, uh, you know, and I, and I say that, that I guess there's one exception, which which could be our low duration uh, European uh, covered bond fund. And uh, of course, that's an attractive solution. Um, and, and many of our clients have also uh, been benefiting from that particular asset class and, and the abilities that we have there. But uh, that's that's one. And um, it, it's only really come to light in recent years. So what other options are there? You know, what, what else can we can we do? Where, where else can we look? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't want only to bring negative news, but of <laughs> course, <laughs> in these crazy times, I mean, you have to think a bit outside the box and, you know, think about differently when allocating uh, your assets. So the last option maybe that uh, I could propose that exist already today um, is actually uh, looking into a short-term multi-asset for example i mean i'm adding multi-assets so of course i'm preaching for my house <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought you might go this direction <laughs> <laughs> obviously um, so if you can maybe uh, show uh, another chart and here uh, you have the two first options so the euribor uh, the money market that we spoke uh, previously but here 
the third option would be to go into very low risk, very conservative or low duration uh, multi-asset uh, solution. And here, this is in blue again over the last five years. Uh, we can see uh, the average performance of low risk multi-asset solution that you can find in Europe. And here, we can see that there is a bit of volatility, but again, this is a trade-off between risk and return, but we can see that over the long run, so the last five years, we can see that on average, uh, this type of uh, investment can offer positive return uh, with a slightly uh, more volatile profile. But if we look at, for example, the information ratio, we can see that the higher risk you're taking by going into this type of investment is more than compensating for the higher return. So I would say that risk reward uh, wise, we can see that there is a bit uh, a better solution by going into this kind of investment like low risk, uh, low duration, very conservative uh, multi-asset uh, solution. And this blue line is showing a market aggregate. Absolutely, yes, yeah. exactly. So it's a combination of many funds that are sold uh, across Europe in this universe. Exactly. Good. So, so you mentioned that we have a, a new solution, um, and I just wondered if you could. Well, <laughs> is there any guarantee that it's going to work? I guess is the obvious question because, you know, we're talking here about investors who have cash in the bank, um, and you know, at some point might be faced with negative uh, interest rates on that cash. You know, they don't want to take too much risk, but they'd like to see some sort of positive return rather than a guaranteed loss. So, yeah, maybe you can talk to us a bit about about this. Yeah, so, I mean, we've been speaking about our multi-asset solution for many times. I mean, uh, we are like uh, speakers from our multi-asset uh, managers, so Asbjorn Trolliens and Kasten Beer uh, presenting their own solution. And this yeah. is also managed uh, by this team. So mm -hmm. what I would like to, to show here and just to answer your questions, okay, is there any guarantee that the solution will work because it's brand new, you know? Uh, there's always a risk uh, with your solution, you know, because very often they're based on backtests and they show fantastic backtests. Oh, yeah, yeah my solution <laughs> is very good. But then when it comes live, then everything is falling apart. Yeah, I've never seen a bad backtest. <laughs> Clearly, that would be very weird. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but if, if we kind of look at, um, at the slide where we're showing the different solution managed by our multi-asset solution. So... Uh, we launched this year uh, our conservative fixed income uh, strategy to answer this challenge of uh, potential negative uh, rate going forward. Uh, it's a new solution that's true, but in reality, it's leveraging uh, more than 15 years experience of managing low risk uh, multi-asset solution. So in terms of philosophy, allocation and process, this is something that is really proven that has been going through different market environments. We can speak about 2008 or more recently, uh, the first quarter during the, the very violent uh, sell-off we observed during the COVID. So it's true uh, in a sense uh, as a new track record, but in terms of philosophy and, and experience, I mean, this is something that we've been doing for, for many, many years. So. Um, Personally, I have like good trust um, this kind of uh, approach. I mean, it has been proving very well for the other members of the multi-asset family. Uh, here on this chart, uh, we can see the different low-risk uh, fixed income focused solution that we're managing at the multi-asset team. So the conservative fixed income will basically tackle the negative cash rate. So here uh, we're targeting a very conservative risk profile with the volatility, I would say between one and a half and 2%. Uh, mm -hmm. Then we go a bit higher into the, the risk spectrum with the flexible fixed income strategy that we presented a, a couple of weeks uh, back. Uh, here, a slightly higher risk profile, but also a higher return uh, profile. And then the balanced income strategy uh, for investors, still very conservative, but yeah, want a bit more yield uh, on their investment. So basically we have a solution for, for different risk profile.
but yeah, again, just want to stress out uh, that the conservative fixed income is leveraging on the same type of uh, philosophy than the, the two other members that exist for, for many years already. You just mentioned there in passing the um, volatility target and um, you know those of uh, our listeners who are familiar with the multi-asset team know that you know the risk is, is the starting point for these portfolios and we, we take a, a, a given risk level and then based on that we we give an expected return so I think you mentioned one and a half to two percent um, expected volatility what sort of returns then are you expecting based on that risk? Yeah, absolutely. So if you can go back uh, to the slide. Yeah. Um, so we have the conservative fixed income with a volatility range of one and a half two percent. You mentioned that risk is really the cornerstone. I mean, this is the starting point for our investment. So first we want to get the risk right and then mm -hmm. Whatever return we can get for this level of risk, this is what we provide to the to the investors. So we don't do the opposite, like we try to chase for yield and then try to control somehow the return, the risk. So yeah. the risk is really like the starting point. Yeah. Um, so and also when we optimize our portfolio, I mean we're very conservative for all our risk estimates. So typically we tend to overestimate the risk, and then yeah. be also very conservative into what we can deliver to our clients. So usually, I mean, yeah, we're, we're not, let's say, overselling our strategy, but typically giving like, uh, I would say not the worst case scenario, but something that is very conservative in terms of estimates. So coming back in terms of uh, the risk and the return, conservative fixed income, so uh, expected volatility one and a half to 2%, and this you get a uh, cash plus 1% uh, gross of fees over time, or over a full uh, investment cycle uh, for this kind of strategy. It doesn't seem sexy, but if we compare to 50 basis points guaranteed loss, um, <laughs> I think that could be a rather attractive uh, solution with still a very contained uh, level of risk. Yeah, that's 150 basis point spread, basically, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Uh, another question we get a lot these days is, is around liquidity, um, and understandably so. Uh, how is the liquidity in the fund? Um, and maybe to answer that, you could sort of illustrate you know, what's in there, you know, what's, what kind of instruments um, the team are using in order to, to construct the portfolio? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is a new solution uh, for a very challenging uh, problem of this negative cash rate. And yeah, it's fair to ask, I mean, what, what can you find? I mean, are you going, you know, into these very illiquid type of uh, securities, you know, to, to increase a bit the yield of, of your portfolio? Um, so we mentioned that risk comes first when we allocate assets, but it's not only risk, but it's also liquidity. So whenever we implement our portfolio, so not only for the strategy, but for all the multi-asset solution we're managing, I mean, we want to be uh, very conservative also in terms of uh, the investment that we're making. So <laughs> if we can show um, basically some example of what you can find uh, into the strategy. So this is an unconstrained strategy. So it's not only based on, on European instruments. So basically we try to find opportunities across the globe. I mean, mm -hmm. today, I mean, if you want to, to find opportunities and yield, I mean, you have to be global. I mean, staying in Europe, I mean, is a yeah. bit of a dead end, I have to, yeah. to, to, to say. Uh, mm -hmm. But here also, we really like investing into plain vanilla uh, instruments. So we don't go into these uh, exotic uh, liquid type of assets that can offer maybe a higher yield, but at the expense of, uh, you know, liquidity risk. And we saw, I mean, this year was a very good reminder that liquidity is also very important and even more important if you think about like an investment for your cash. I mean, yeah. this is the first thing you look at. So the safety, of course, you want to have your cash back, 
but also you want to be able to trade in and trade out uh, as much as possible. And again, um, this is something very key for, for the team. And we've been basically navigating uh, the lack of liquidity or the liquidity shock that we observed during March uh, very well with the different solutions. So with the high, uh, higher risk um, cousin or brother, the flexible fixed income, or even the balanced income strategy, which continue to be able to, to face redemption um, at any time uh, during uh, the sell-off. So here, the supply is the same process and the same liquidity profile uh, for a conservative uh, fixed income strategy. Just to recap on, on the philosophy, um, of course, you want to have something very low risk, being able to navigate very volatile uh, market environment. So to do this, uh, we don't only you know invest into like high yielding uh, securities but, but we we'll also want to have something that can protect when there is stress into the market so we rely very much on this uh, risk balancing philosophy that will help us to let's say uh, mitigate the drawdown but at the end of the day also have as a different uh, implied return from the different assets we're selecting great well, um, time is running, so I think it's probably best if we uh, go to the key takeaway slide um, and we'll whip through this. At the end, I will ask you if there's anything to add. So, um, sure. <laughs> yeah, so first of all, um, as we mentioned at the beginning, you know, negative uh, interest rates uh, have been around for a while. They're here to stay for a while longer as well, and uh, we anticipate the banks at some point will start passing these negative rates on to, to clients. Um, traditional cash proxies don't really help in this scenario. Um, they're suffering as well uh, as a result of these negative interest rates. But um, yeah, at, at Nodea, what we, we're trying to do and what we've been doing historically is, is develop solutions uh, for your cash. And um, you know we'll, we'll keep innovating in that space because uh, you know this is a real problem that our clients are facing right now. The idea with this particular uh, solution is that we harvest returns um, while containing the risks. Um, and we, we've managed to do that with a very liquid conservative uh, portfolio um, solution. So, so that's, uh, that's great. And of course, this is not a standalone. Uh, this is actually just a new addition to the existing uh, range of multi-asset uh, solutions that we have on the table for the different um, risk return profiles that, that clients have. So that was my summary. Gino, anything to add before we uh, say goodbye? No, I think you're you spot on. I mean, just one last thing. I mean, yeah. Be ready uh, because this will come sooner or later. I mean, the banks will call you and say, sorry, Paul, <laughs> we'll have to charge you 50 basis points. So you, you need already to think about this kind of solution uh, for the future. Yeah, I have a teenage daughter, so I don't have any money anyway. It's all gone. <laughs> Same for me. <laughs> Gino, thank you very much uh, for your time uh, this morning. That was uh, a really great discussion and uh, good luck with the new fund. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Always a pleasure to, to chat with you. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, this time next week, that will be Wednesday, the 25th of November, um, I will have Joachim Alberg and Johan Swan joining me. They are portfolio managers of our North American STARS strategy. Remember, when we talk about STARS, that means ESG, so our US dedicated ESG solution. Um, so that will be an interesting one, particularly in the context of what's going on in the US right now. So do join us for that. In the meantime, don't forget to visit uh, our Stay Alert microsite. You'll find that at nordia.lu. And on that microsite, we have all of the previous uh, interviews. We have Q&As and podcasts as well. 
that's it for today. I'll see you next week.